Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, and we have been zeroing in here this first part of the year here at our church on the uh, core values of worship and scripture, that is the, the strands of our DNA that, that one of the things we want to really uh, be reminded of our calling as a church is, is to worship the Lord and to understand what that means and understand how that impacts us in our lives today. Now, when it comes to this idea of worship, we provide this opportunity every single week to gather together and to engage in the corporate worship of God as we meet together to pray together, to study the Word of God together, to give God glory together, and we do all all of that simply because God is worthy. Amen? Amen? He's worthy of all that worship that we can give him, all the praise that we can place before him. But did you know, and this may surprise some of you, but did you know that there are certain people, and in fact there may be one or two here today, when it comes to this service, they think they have an idea of how it should go? <laughs> did you know that some people have a preference for what happens on... Let me ask this. Did you know that some Baptists have opinions? <laughs> For every two Baptists in a room, you've got six opinions. <laughs> and when it comes to the worship service, there are a lot of people who have some different opinions about how things should be structured or about what we might should sing or about how the preacher should look. And you've got what you got. I can't do anything about that. Uh, about this, that, and the other. And uh, I don't think that really surprises us. Uh, we all bring our biases. We all bring our preferences into this place. And as I said last week, diversity among the people of God uh, when it comes to the worship of God is something that's not to be avoided. It's something that I think we should celebrate. Remember, as I again said last week, but you've slipped since then, so I'll remind you, our calling is not to critique how someone else praises the Lord. Our calling, my calling today is to praise the Lord. My calling is not to worry about what you're doing. My calling is for me to praise the Lord today. And there are several things that exist, however, when you look, all that being said, when you look at how people worship throughout Scripture, you will see several commonalities that show up in just about every gathering of the people of God. These experiences have been constant no matter the context of when people have gathered to worship God. And in fact, that's been going on for thousands of years. And I'm going to show you that as we look today at the first worship service. Now, this is not, the, the text we're going to read is not uh, a text that is the first time worship occurs. 
Abraham built altars to the Lord well before we get to Genesis chapter 22. However, it's the first time in the Bible that we see the word worship. It's a familiar text, and at first glance, we will admit it is a strange text, but it's one that teaches us much about our responsibility to worship and the privilege we have to worship. Let's look at what Moses wrote in the book of Genesis when recording this event in the life of Abraham. Genesis chapter 22. And after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He, God, said to Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Now pay attention to verse 5. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship. That's the first time the word worship is used in Scripture. We will worship and we'll come back again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. Isaac said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built there the altar and there laid and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He, this angel of the Lord said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram, caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of the place that the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Abraham's experience in this chapter has so much to teach us. When Moses wanted to display worship in Abraham's life, he did not highlight the altars that Abraham built. He did not uh, highlight the pews upon which Abraham sat. He did not highlight the songs which Abraham sang. When Moses wanted to put the worship of Abraham on display, it was this event in which Abraham worshipped God. Let me call your attention 
to a couple of things we learned from this first worship service that still is involved in every worship service when we gather together as the people of God. The first lesson is this, worship is preceded by preparation. Worship is preceded by preparation. There are a few words at the very first part of verse 1, three very simple words that are just a transitional statement, but if you don't read these words, what happens in chapter 22 makes no sense. In fact, if in your Bible reading plan you start in Genesis 22, you will read the chapter and think, what kind of crazy God is this in the Scripture? But you have to understand that how the chapter opens, it simply says, after these things. You see, Abraham was able to follow God's direction. Abraham was able to offer God worship because there were these things that occurred before Genesis chapter 22. When you read this text, it's it's kind of shocking. How could God ask something so costly of Abraham? Why would God ask something like this of Abraham? And is God going to ask something like this of me one day? But you can't start just reading the text. You have to understand that phrase, after these things. Those three words, after these things, refers back to the 25 plus years that Abraham has already known God and that God has already known Abraham. God did not introduce himself to Abraham on Monday at breakfast and then at lunch immediately ask him to sacrifice his son. After these things refers to a period of over 25 years after God revealed himself to Abraham for the first time. After these things, God had already spoken to Abraham and led him out of Ur into the land of Canaan. God had already promised that he would protect Abraham as he followed him. God had already promised that Abraham and Sarah would have a son. God had already given Abraham that promised son. God had spent over 25 years preparing Abraham for this moment of worship. If God had told him once, he had told him a dozen times that Isaac would be the son of promise and that Isaac, it would be through Isaac that the entire world would be blessed. God had promised that it would be through Abraham that a multitude of people would be blessed. For over 25 years, God had refused to let anything mess up that plan. That's what those words, after these things, mean. That's why it's so important. In coming to this moment of worship, Abraham was prepared, and that teaches us a very valuable lesson when it comes to our worship. If you expect to encounter God, you got to be prepared to encounter God. You've got to prepare yourself. God has been at work in your life before you were born. 
God has been faithful to meet your needs. Every single one of us who follow Jesus today, we walked into this room after these things. We walked into this room after God has been so faithful to us. God has prepared you for this moment. Our task when we gather together every week is to embrace that preparation both spiritually and physically. So let me get real practical. I believe that theology should always be practical. And I believe if if you don't walk out of here with something that you can put hands and feet on, we just kind of waste our time. So let me get real practical about this. And I tell you what, I I want you, and honestly, I sincerely, I want you to do this. I want you to try this for the next three to four, five, six weeks. Most of it just said I heard three. That's what I'll do, okay? Whatever. (laughs) For for the next, let me back that up. For the next four to six weeks, sincerely, here's what I want you to try to do. As as our friend Dean Insura says at City Church in Tallahassee, Florida, Sunday morning church is a Saturday night decision. Get prepared. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to open your Bible before you ever come to church. I want you to read your Bible before you get here. On Saturday. I want you to go ahead and put your keys somewhere where you'll find them. Because if you don't, the devil will hide them Saturday night. I don't know how he does it, but he does. Get, y'all aren't writing these down, and y'all should, because it's going to make me mad if you don't. Or at least act like you are. Before you go to bed Saturday night, I want you to pray. And say, Lord, I'm going to church tomorrow. Will you speak to me through that? Will you speak to me through the singing? Will you speak to me through the preaching? Will you speak to me through your Holy Spirit? Set you an alarm. Get up early. Get up at enough time to where you haven't got to cuss the traffic getting to church. Y'all know, uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, no amen to that. <laughs> Do things in preparation for your encounter with God. I sincerely, I'll email you this week, since you ain't writing it down, I'll email you this week and remind you of that. And I tell you what, if it doesn't change the way you worship, I'll reimburse your ticket to come to church this morning. How about that? Does that work? <laughs> if it doesn't, I'll, I'll, I'll reimburse it. And if someone, by the, by the way, asks you to pay when you came in, come see me after church. They shouldn't have done that. We have to be prepared to encounter the living God. Be prepared. Why? Because God's worthy. He is worthy of my worship. Here's a second lesson we learn. Worship always invokes a divine proposition. It always invokes a divine proposition. As Abraham is prepared to worship after these things, God makes a proposition. God makes a request. And the request God makes is his son. You see, worship is not about you giving God what you want to give him. Worship is about you giving God what God wants from you. Did you hear that? You can't waltz in here and say, okay, well, I'm going to give God a song now, and I'm going to give God my attention for a few minutes. That, our, our, our task in worship is not to give God what we want to give him. Our task is to give God what he wants from you. Look, this, I'm, I'm, I'm reading my Bible throughout the year, as many of you are, and I'm using 
uh, the 52 weeks in the Word, and I just spent this last week reading the book of Leviticus. Good gracious. I had conversations at my house, and I said, Mandy, I believe that all of God's Word is inspired, but if there's a book that'll cause me to doubt it, it's Leviticus. I learned more about what to do with a hair that grows out of a mole if it's a certain color than I ever wanted to know about. <laughs> and as I worked through that book of Leviticus, and I ain't lying, when I finished, I sent her a text and said, ha ha, I'm done. But as I worked through that book of Leviticus, every feast, every sacrifice, every offering in that book came with very specific instructions, how you present it, how you kill it, how you eat it, what you do with it, what you wear while you're eating it, very specific. And the point of that, in Leviticus at least, is that God was very specific as to what he wanted. And if the Israelites in Leviticus were going to worship God, they had to do precisely what God desired. Now, thankfully, we are no longer under under such a sacrificial system. But that principle of worship remains. Worship cannot occur if we do not give God what he requests. And if you leave here today without giving God what he's asked of you, you've just wasted your time. You have not worshiped. See, here in Genesis chapter 22, God wants what is most important to Abraham. Be prepared for God to make a divine proposition. Be prepared for God to make a request when you worship. He may call you to lay aside something that's taking his place in your life. He may call you to surrender a part of your life that you have not surrendered to him. It might be something that you're not being faithful to do. Maybe you're not being faithful to give as God's word instructs and God is instructing you to do that. That is worship. It may be praying that you're not praying as you should and God is saying, look, I need this. I want this from you to worship me, to lay aside that which is keeping God from being number one, to give up that which would keep God from having the chief place in the throne of our heart. Worship should always involve a proposition from God. When you walk out these doors today, leave behind the idols that your heart has chased this week. Worship is always preceded by preparation and it always invokes a divine proposition. Number three, worship demands a prompt response. It demands a prompt response. God makes this request and Abraham doesn't argue. He doesn't delay He doesn't complain. The next time you think I preach too long, just remember, I ain't asking you for a sacrifice of your family. (laughs) He responds quickly and fully. Don't miss his statement in verse 5. It's the heart of this text. I and the boy will go over there and worship And will come again to you. That word worship in verse 5 means to bow down. And Abraham is saying, we are going to go and we are going to bow down before you. 
Abraham immediately knew that this request was about worship. The God who had called him, who had saved him, who had protected him, who had blessed him, now wanted worship from him, and Abraham was not hesitant to give it. You see, the fact that Abraham promptly responded to God's proposition shows us that he did not think what God was asking was too much in this request. Think about it. Was it too great a thing for God to ask for the son that God had given? Abraham would not be in this land if it were not for God. Abraham would not have a son if it were not for God. Abraham's worship in this moment teaches us that worship occurs when you give God what matters the most to you. You worship when you respond. You worship when you respond by giving God the full rights to your heart and to your life. You're telling God, I have no other gods in my life. There's no one else that I want to follow. There's nothing in my heart, God, that is more important than you. See, Abraham could respond to this request after these things because he had learned that God was a provider. And if God provided in the past, God would provide In the present, he didn't know how it was going to happen. But Abraham had walked with God long enough to know that God had it in control. The author of Hebrews helps us understand how Abraham could respond so quickly. The verses are going to be on your screen. Look at what Hebrews 11, 17 through 19 tell us. By faith, Abraham... When he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Abraham considered that God was able even to raise Isaac from the dead. My friend, Abraham didn't know how God would do it, but he knew that God would. And when you maybe don't know how God's going to come through, but you know he will, you know he's going to, you can promptly respond to the call to worship. That kind of faith makes it possible to respond to whatever God requires of us. Worship demands a prompt response. Here's the last lesson I give you, and it'll be a short one. Worship includes a needed provision. It includes a needed provision. Just as Abraham suspected, God provided the sacrifice. I wish, and maybe God, I don't know if we get to watch movies in heaven or anything else like that, but if we do, I hope God will record, has recorded this this experience and and will let, because I just want to see it. Because I can just see Abraham and Isaac as they walk up one side of that mountain and on the other side is a ram that's walking up to be provided to take Isaac's place to be that sacrifice. God was in the process of providing even though Abraham couldn't see it. 
And Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. That was a mountain called Mount Moriah. When you read later in your Old Testament, once you get through Leviticus, once you get to some of the historical books, you'll read in 2 Chronicles chapter 3 and verse 1 that Solomon began to build a temple. And guess where? The answer is Mount Moriah. Guess where he built that temple? Mount Moriah. Well, once that got me. You see, it was on Mount Moriah that mountain would become the home of God's manifest presence. It was on that mountain that Israel would offer sacrifices to atone from that sin. And most scholars tell us that it was just outside that mountain, in that same range where there was another mountain that came to be known as Calvary, where the Son of God would give his life for the forgiveness of our sins. It's amazing to me how sometimes the idea will fall out of here on Sunday and you'll come to me and you'll say something along the lines of, man, you said something today that I, it was exactly what I needed. I promise no one emails me. Your wife does not email me and say, well, a couple of wives do, but I don't, uh, I don't uh, I fulfill the request. No one emails me and says, hey, will you say this during the sermon because my knothead needs to hear this? And, and, and God, not one time has, has God broken through the sitting of our house on a Saturday night and said, all right, Pastor, here's what I want you to say specifically tomorrow because so and so need to hear it. But it's amazing how so many of you will say something like that. You think I've been reading your mail. And it's not that. It's not that at all. Here's the thing about worship. <clears throat> we gather together to honor and bless God. And even though this is all for God, for some reason, because of his grace, and in some way, as we worship, God gives us exactly what we need. He provides for us exactly the need that we have. While worship isn't for us, God uses our time of worship to benefit and bless us. He provides us what we need as we worship. Watch this, just two, three minutes and we're done. You read this text and you go, man, that was a big request. Okay, really, really, really listen, really listen. You think that was a big request? God never intended to kill Isaac. God wasn't after Isaac. God was after Abraham. God wasn't chasing Isaac. God was chasing Abraham. God isn't after your kids. God isn't after your money. God isn't after anything you can give him. You're not going to give God anything that's going to make him more God than he is right here in this moment. God's not after your stuff. God's after you. He's after your heart. He's pursuing you. God was never after Isaac. God was chasing Abraham. And God is chasing you. One of the great ironies in Abraham's worship service 
is that God asked for Abraham's son, but he never allowed Abraham to give him that son. It was, in fact, God who gave his only son, a son he loved as an act of love to us. Therefore, therefore, you will never be able to give God more than he's already given you. The only response I can make today is to worship. That's the only response I can make. When I realize that there's nothing that I can give God that will outdo what God's done for me, my only response is worship. Will that be your response today? Would you bow with me this morning? We're going to pray, and after I pray, we're going to have this time of commitment. This altar is open if you need to pray about something, if you need to, to seek the Lord's will on something, if, if you need to pray for anything at all, feel free to use this altar. That's, that's why we have this here. You can also pray right where you are, but, but sometimes God may lead you just to come and place yourself physically to fall down before him in worship as you pray. Maybe this morning God has placed upon your heart the need for a Savior, and you realize that this God who gave his son for you is after you. He's chasing you. He wants you to have a relationship with him. We would love to share with you how you can do that, how you can have that relationship. If that's something you desire in your life, when we stand and sing, just walk down here and say, Pastor, I want, I want to talk to someone about making Jesus my Lord, about being saved, and we'll get you to someone who can have that conversation with you this morning before you leave. I don't know what God's calling you to do today. My only ask of you, the only thing I'll ever ask of you, is to put your yes on whatever table God's setting before you, to do what he's called you to do today. Father God, I thank you that Jesus was that perfect lamb who died in my place. And I thank you that in sending him, you showed your heart for me. And Father, I pray that I would realize that there's nothing I could ever do that would outdo what you've done for me. And so that I would just default to the posture of worship, of bowing down before you. Have your will and your way in my life and the lives of every person in this room today. In Jesus. Thank you.